Sponsorship of the KQED live audio stream comes from Xfinity Mobile, featuring customized wireless plans. Customers can choose unlimited, buy the gig, shared data, or a mix of both and switch it up anytime. Learn more at XfinityMobile.com. From KQED in San Francisco, this is the Writer's Block. Hi, my name is Doug Dorst. I'm the author of a novel, Alive in Necropolis, which came out in 2008 and was San Francisco's One City, One Book pick for 2009. My new book is a short story collection called The Surf Guru, and I'm going to read the title story. It's a series of short vignettes, each with its own heading. The Surf Guru. Elements. The Surf Guru spends most of his time sitting expectantly on the redwood deck of his dull green two-story house atop the cliff at Padre Point, a favorite spot for surfers in the know. He watches the surfers and looks out at the ocean. He often sips Chianti as he watches and looks. Sometimes he nods off in the afternoon and only awakens late at night when the ocean breeze tickles his nose with smoke from the bonfires below. His Business He owns a company that makes top-notch equipment for the well-prepared surfer as well as the casual beachgoer. The name of the company is Guru, that's G-O-O-R-O-O, all caps, and it appears on surfboards, wetsuits, quick-release leashes, wax, baggy trunks, SPF 50-plus waterproof sunblock, fashion eyewear, sports sandals, sheepskin comfy boots, sarongs, rain gear, board racks, beach towels, fanny packs, umbrellas, neckties, easy-rinse home hair bleaching systems, shock and pressure-resistant ISO 6425 chronographs, antibacterial towelettes, feature films, and dog food. For years, Guru has been at the forefront of beach technology. The surf guru innovates, quietly, as if he were dreaming, and then two MBAs, Chad and Olivia, bring his visions to the marketplace. Everyone who surfs at Padre Point wears Guru and rides Guru. Everyone except the red-haired boy. Power Some say the surf guru controls the tides. The red-haired boy. At this very moment, sunset is approaching and the red-haired boy is surfing a three-foot swell. He rides a low-rider board and wears a Pacific skin wetsuit. Both of these items cost significantly less than their guru equivalents. The boy thinks his low-rider board is more responsive than any guru board he's ever tried, and unlike his old guru wetsuit... The Pacific skin model doesn't chafe him in the neck and crotch. In the surf guru's eyes, the red-haired boy is not unlike someone who invites himself to dinner and then insults the cook. Competition When Lowrider products first came on the market, the surf guru asked Olivia to invite Mr. Lowe to the dull green house for lunch. He wanted to meet his competition. That's impossible, Olivia said. There is no Mr. Lowe. He is a marketing fiction. The surf guru poured some Chianti into a guru coffee mug. So many fictions, he said, sighing. The surf guru's wife, cinematically. He met his wife on the beach. He was surfing, trying out a board fitted with prototypes of the soon-to-be-famous guru hydro-rip fins. She was a sunburned art history and modern thought double major, looking for her car keys in the sand. He came out of the water and found her keys instantly, 
as if he could see things she couldn't. Six months later, they were married. After ten years, she'd had enough. You are so remote, she said. I am not remote. Then you are stoic. I am not stoic. You are no fun. The dog thinks I'm great fun. You are turgid, she said. That is an interesting word. The word turgid is itself quite turgid. It is very successful at being what it is. Unlike this marriage, which is not successful at being anything, she responded cinematically. She packed up all her things except for the guru-branded apparel, which she cut into shreds with pinking shears and piled on the bed. She then took all the dog food in the house and dumped it on the front steps. These were symbolic actions, she said, and she hoped they would haunt him. Stray dogs congregated in front of the house for weeks. Drainage, Part 1 He watches the surfers every day, admiring their fluid recklessness, their joy and struggle, their twinned senses of community and territoriality. He pretends not to notice when they glance up at him with furtive reverence. Some of them are kids trying to catch a few good waves before or after school. Some are in their twenties, hoping for a breath of freedom before they head off to their jobs drafting contracts or designing urban drainage systems or selling fitness accessories. Some, gray-haired and leather-skinned, are older than the surf guru himself. Sometimes he feels as if he's watching over a nursery school where children play duck-duck-goose and learn other essential social skills. Then those children grow up and return with their own children, passing on the legacy of the waves. Credo All the rivers run into the sea, yet the sea is not full. Unto the place whence the rivers come, thither they return. Hats He wears many hats, not altogether metaphorically. His favorites are the fez, the mitre, and the mortarboard, but he has many others from all corners of the globe. When he feels giddy, often but not always from too much Chianti, he opts for a hat with a plume, the puckish Tyrolean, perhaps, or the stately Shako. When the aches in his fused vertebrae tell him a storm is coming, he dons the beretta, the hat of wariness and watchfulness. Drainage, Part 2 Chad and Olivia bring him a financial report every Wednesday. The report tells him how much they've spent on manufacturing and promotions, how much has been bled out by his ex-wife and the attorneys, how much he's lost in the latest Wall Street panic, how much he's shrewdly invested in livestock farms and vacation properties he'll never use. Included under the heading Personal Consumption is the money spent on Chianti, microwavable vegetarian entrees, and hats. Each week he pretends to read the report carefully. When Chad and Olivia leave, he tells the dog, It is essential that they believe I care deeply. This is how the world works. <clears throat> Fetching, Part 1 The dog is uncannily, perhaps miraculously, skilled at fetching. They share a small but important ritual. The surf guru throws a tennis ball off the deck of the dull green house into the ocean and the dog scampers away and returns with the ball in under three minutes, every time, over and over. Faster than you can boil an egg, he once boasted to his wife. 
Boil your own goddamn eggs, she said. Neep tide. The red-haired boy, frustrated by the calm surf, slaps the water with an open palm, demanding one good set before he calls it a day. Moments later, as the sun nicks the horizon, a head-high wave rises from nowhere. He positions himself expertly, catches it, drives down the line into a heavy roundhouse cutback, then glides through a string of graceful turns in the pocket. And the surf guru applauds, quietly, with his fingertips. Fear, the largest eyes of all. Sharks rarely venture into the bay. They prefer the darker, bruise-blue waters off the coast, where fear is easier to come by. Bobby Cordero is molting. Three years ago, it is a cold, rainy morning just past dawn, and Bobby Cordero, a regular, has Padre Point to himself. Even the surf guru is gone convinced by Chad to make a rare promotional appearance at the Guru Aloha Cup at Waimea. The wind is up and the waves are big. Bobby needs to clear his head and this is the way to do it. He rides double overheads for an hour and feels his spirit rise up and dance a rumbo with the sea. He's oblivious to his hangover, to the rent he can't pay, to all those accusations of squandered potential, to the green-eyed girl who won't return his calls. He's also oblivious to the fin rising and falling in the surf behind him. Bobby catches a set wave but drops into it too late. He manages to carve off the bottom into a floater, then elevator drops and loses his balance. He pitches into the water and is driven face first into the sand. There's a slash of pain in his ankle, then a wrenching tug, then fire in his legs and side. A glimpse of thrashing gray and a flat black eye and then a strange warmth bathing his body. A crushing blow to his chest that squeezes the air out of him, and with that, a mysterious clarity. He remembers that he should yank on the shark's gill slits, a trick he learned from the Guru Surfer's survival guide. He grabs and yanks, loses hold, grabs and yanks again. Then he finds himself on the beach, inside a ring of wide-eyed, shrieking people, and he calmly, sleepily, stares at the cuff still fastened around his ankle, at the rubber cord that trails from it, at the clean slice where the leash was bitten through. In the hospital they have to cut open his guru wetsuit. They try to sew him up, but Bobby's lost too much blood, and he dies on the table amid rags of black neoprene. One doctor tells the local news it looked as if poor Bobby was molting. The surf guru returns to Padre Point immediately and arranges a ceremony for Sunday afternoon. He spends thousands of dollars on flowers, hyacinths, lilacs, and mums. With one phone call to the city council, he has the road that runs along the cliff closed for the day. Everyone comes. Some weep. Some vow revenge against all things Salakian. Some throw flowers off the cliff. Some of the flowers fall into the water. Some come to rest on the cliffside. The surf guru watches the ceremony from his deck. He wears the Greek fisherman's cap, the hat of sorrow and solitude. Survival of the Fittest The Guru Surfer's Survival Guide, priced at sixteen ninety five, is also available with the surf guru's autograph on the inside front cover for nineteen ninety five. Even though the autographed version has sold 750,000 units, only three purchasers have complained in writing 
that the autograph looks suspiciously like a dog's paw print. The red-haired boy does not own the survival guide, but he knows that if a shark ever attacks him, he should yank on its gill slits. It's intuitive, he says. The surf guru upon rising this morning. Surfers fill the bay. A hundred guru boards twinkling. A hundred black wetsuits with guru stamped in screaming green across the chest. It is an ordinary sight, but today he's taken aback. So many pieces of himself spread across the water, carried by the waves like so much flotsam. He eats a big breakfast. He worries that he's been losing weight. For a poodle, maybe. The surf guru's wife once bought a cable-knit doggy sweater at a church craft fair, but the dog bit her when she tried to force its legs into the sleeves. Later, he and the dog played fetch with the sweater until it fell apart. From inside the house, she watched them with mercury eyes. Two Voices, Room 613, The Empyrean Hotel and Casino, Reno, Nevada. We shouldn't do this. I'm not his wife anymore, legally or otherwise. That is an excellent point. Still, it doesn't feel right. He trusts me. You deny yourself. Everyone around him does. I don't understand. Is that really all you want, to be his lackey? That's your destiny, your dharma? Well, now that you mention it, I would like to play the saxophone professionally. I'd like to be the man who resuscitates bebop. Then make it happen. Believe in yourself. Seize the day. Etc. I'll need money. Yes, you will. But you're resourceful. Of your several fine qualities, it is perhaps the finest. I love you. Shh. Don't spoil everything. A Fine Vintage, Part 1 the red-haired boy picks off a nice right and executes a quick barrel and a vertical snap. He swoops long, smooth lines across the wall of water. The surf guru pours another glass of Chianti. Even though his back is knotted up and burning with pain, he puts on a beret, the hat of restrained contentment. Closed out. The trophy case in the dull green house is empty. In an effort to raise capital, all 473 of the surf guru's trophies were sold to a surf-themed pizza chain owned by an aging former star of Hollywood beach movies. They are now mounted on the walls of Shred Boy Pizza franchises in 26 cities worldwide, including brand-new airport locations in Athens, Saskatoon, and Las Vegas. Tombstoned Olivia calls Chad in a panic. Next year's line of guru boards, the Poseidon series, must be renamed. Lowrider, it seems, has just filed on all commercial uses of Poseidon. They found out, she says, we must have a leak. Don't be silly, Chad says. I'm not being silly, I'm talking about corporate espionage. Sometimes coincidences are just coincidences, Chad informs her. You can't just go around believing everything that appears to be true. Olivia's heart pounds as she tries to think of a suitable alternative. Neptune? Triton? Apollo? Vishnu? Tangaroa? Quetzalcoatl? Ra? It's no use. All the gods have been trademarked. Nothing. Guru dog food is a bomb, 
an albatross, a millstone around the corporate neck. No matter how bright the colors on the bag are, no matter how scrupulously the ads are targeted, it's a money loser year in and year out. Finally, Olivia confronts the surf guru, suggests cutting production costs by using cereal fillers, fewer organic ingredients. The surf guru shakes his head. The dog enjoys guru dog food, will eat nothing but. Olivia is instructed to change nothing. The dog also likes Chianti. Even after a brimming bowlful, he still fetches with a plum. Fetching, Part 2 The surf guru notices a girl in her early twenties walking along the beach. He can tell even from this distance and in the failing light that she's beautiful. He decides that she has the features of a Byzantine Madonna. He does not care if he's imagining this. She's returning from work. She wears a business suit and walks barefoot, carrying smart shoes in one hand. She needs the beach, he thinks, maybe more than she knows. He wonders about her name. It's certainly not Polly or Molly or Jill or Francine. It's exotic, like Nadia, or simple in its elegance, like Catherine. He quickly reminds himself that she, too, would ultimately find him turgid. She stops and sits on the sand. She watches the red-haired boy surf, and the boy launches into a snap-air floater, then drives off the bottom and carves improbable arcs all over the bowl. The surf guru applauds quietly, with his fingertips. As he watches the boy paddle back out to deep water, he tries to call up images of his long-ago self. He fails. His memory feels diffused, diffracted, dishonest. He leans forward in his chair and pets the dog asleep at his feet. Musings from an orthopedic deck chair If the surf guru felt like expressing himself verbally on the subject of feelings, he would say, What I am currently feeling is a peculiar mix of longing and fear, of nostalgia and hope, of power and restraint, of shining and fading. His voice would tremble for an instant, but he'd smooth it out so as not to let you notice. Sunset The red-haired boy undoes his leash, tucks his board under one arm, and walks through shallow water toward the girl. He shows her his lowrider board. The surf guru imagines him telling her that the lowrider high-tide fins shred, that they give him more control than he ever dreamed possible. And with the boy's voice, an easy tenor unroughened by time, echoing through his head, he closes his eyes and conjures up a design for a new and improved guru hydro-rip mark II. Finn. Drainage, Part 3. The numbers do not work out. Olivia scans the reports one more time. The numbers still do not work out. She pounds the desk. She looks up at Chad with wet, puffy eyes. I don't understand, she says. It's as if the money is disappearing. Yes, Chad says. It's as if. He sips his martini, then traces his finger around the rim of the glass, coaxing forth a high, quavering tone. With much satisfaction, he recognizes the note as an F-sharp. He's been working on his ear. A salt-rimmed glass. The girl takes pen and paper from her blazer pocket and writes down her phone number. She presses the scrap of paper into the red-haired boy's hand, and they hold the contact an instant longer than they need to. 
The boy glances up at the dull green house and notices the older man sitting high up on his deck, hands tented in front of his face. See that guy? he says, pointing. Dude controls the tides. She proposes that they head back into town together, maybe grab a margarita at Imelda's on the way. This boy, after all, has stories worth hearing. The Mother of Invention The surf guru closes the sketchbook in which he's calculated the specs of the new fins. He takes a swig of Chianti from the bottle. As the sky darkens, he thinks about those kids, that Madonna in a blazer, that boy who surfs lowrider, and he thanks them. He cannot describe what they've given him, but he knows he could never have received it from the guru faithful, with their cash register receipts and 90-day warranties and worshipful online reviews. Gulls squawk, wind blows, waves break. On a boardwalk in the distance, a glowing Ferris wheel spins. He stands up and stretches his back. He walks stiffly into the house and looks through his collection of hats for something appropriate. He looks and looks. Drainage Part 4 Chad and Olivia arrive at the dull green house to give him the bad news, but find the deck chair empty. Olivia fears the worst. She knows his mind has been darkening. She searches the house, terrified of what she might find. Meanwhile, Chad fixes himself a martini, humming the lead line from Charlie Parker's Now's the Time. He's gone, Olivia shouts from downstairs. Also gone, the dog and the wide-brimmed patassus, the hat of nascent defiance. Passage Underlined in blue, in his wine-stained paperback copy of the complete Yates, left on the dinette. Winter and summer till old age began, my circus animals were all on show. Payoff Three weeks later, Olivia receives an envelope in her mailbox at home. It contains the designs for the new fins and a short note hastily scrawled. It's all yours now. Just don't change the dog food. The postmark is smudged, unreadable. A Fine Vintage, Part 2 The girl waits as the boy gets his things together. To subscribe to the Writer's Block and hear more stories, visit kqed.org slash writersblock. The Writer's Block is produced by KQED.